From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Wednesday, November the eighth, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Chinese presidents addressed the 2023 World Internet Conference Wuhan Summit via video. Israel says its forces have reached the heart of Gaza City, and King Charles III makes his first speech to the UK Parliament since his coronation. In business, the Beijing Financial Street Forum. In sports, a Chinese team remains hopeful for advancing in the AFC Champions League. In culture and entertainment, a forum in Beijing on communication between civilizations. Now checking the day's top stories. The 2023 World Internet Conference Wuhan Summit kicked off on Wednesday. Chinese President Xi Jinping addressed the conference via video link. Already called for efforts to build a more inclusive and prosperous cyberspace, as the internet's increasingly becoming a new driving force for development. The Chinese president also urged deeper international exchanges and cooperation in the digital field. Wang Mengjia has more. The internet has become a new vitality and platform for the development and the cultural exchanges. President Xi pointed out that、uh, the、uh, development of the internet is the、uh, choice of the international community and is answer to the times of the right now. And he、uh, called for the deep and cooperation and practical uh, exchanges uh, so as to further、uh, jointly promote the building of a community of a shared future in cyberspace into a new. 
new library, uh, marking the 10th anniversary since the inception in 2014. This year's Wuzhen Summit uh, has invited representatives worldwide to share their ideas and experiences on the internet, global internet governance and development. I uh, figured out some uh, new lines from this year's Wuzhen Summit. For example, there will be about 20 sub-forums which will be held during the event and in order to stress the significance of the younger generation, uh, the Wuzhen Summit has newly established a uh, global youth uh, leadership program. So I think the Wuzhen uh, Summit aims to inspire the uh, new trends of technology and the, uh, all the uh, staffs that to uh, bring the uh, international community to, um, to uh, looking forward to the new trends of the digitization, the networking, and the, including the intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence. That was Wang Mengjia reporting. Over 400 products have debuted at the ongoing China International Import Expo in Shanghai. Exhibitors are making every effort to uncover the market potential of their latest offerings. And Do Hongyi spoke to some of the companies to find out why they've launched their products at the CIIE. The launch of a new product is important, as it's a chance to introduce features and establish connections with customers and partners. This makes the debut of a product crucial for improving market performance. Norwegian school bag producer GMT for Kids has chosen the CRIE to display its latest school bag designed to protect a child's spine. The company's China manager director Zheng Qi says they want to find targeted customers at the expo. During the expo, we look forward to connecting with more middle-class families and individuals who pay particular attention to children's health. China has the world's largest middle class that is still growing, making the country an appealing market for foreign companies. As Chinese consumers are seeking higher quality products, companies are motivated to innovate and tailor their offerings accordingly. The new school bank will go on sale next month. Zheng says the expo provides a great chance to introduce their new products to potential Chinese buyers and gain their acceptance. Since our new product is more costly to produce, its price is higher than our previous ones. We hope that visitors from different regions will appreciate the unique features of our new product at the CIIE. Recalling previous experiences of attending this expo, Zheng says launching products and the CRIE can always lead to more orders. Such a display helps boost our sales. When we see cooperation with government institutions or large corporations, they would consider our products to enjoy good popularity simply because we have attended the CRIE. In the pavilion of food and agricultural products, exhibitors attract visitors with free samples, giving them a chance to taste the flavor of newly released foods and beverages. For example, at the booth of New Zealand dairy brand The Land, each visitor gets a cup of its upgraded milk. Company Vice President Chiu Shurong says this is an effective way to let people know how the new milk is different. These past couple of days have been bustling with people. They have tried our new milk and expressed their admiration for it. They can truly taste the enhancements for themselves. China is New Zealand's biggest export market for dairy products, accounting for 38% of these exports in the 2022 financial year. 
the land is among the first companies to benefit from China's new customs inspection policies, allowing its milk from New Zealand's farms to reach customer tables within 72 hours. This advantage has made the CRIE the perfect platform to launch its milk. We are thankful to the CIIE for providing a platform to showcase our products. By participating in the expo, we aim to ensure that Chinese customers are the first to enjoy our products straight from the source in the supply chain. As China's largest annual online shopping festival, known as Double Eleven, begins right after the expo, exhibitors are expecting their new products to exceed market expectations. For the Beijing Hour, this is Dou Hongyu in Shanghai. Many overseas companies say they're doubling down on China for the market's huge potential. Some exhibitors attending the ongoing CIIE have brought their distinctive handmade products to find potential buyers. And for more, Zheng Tao spoke with senior executive Isabel Zia from uh, Warmpira, a regular participant of the trade event. You have been participating in the CIIE for six years. Has your business operations in China had any impact on the lives of people in Peru? Uh, it's been a platform for us uh, to be able to introduce the market to the Chinese customers. Uh, every time we come here, it has been absolutely great. We always um, contact with new customers that are interested in selling their products in, in big uh, stores around China. Uh, well, it has impacted in a very positive way. Uh, all of the artisans that work with us, uh, they are people with very low incomes. Uh, before us, they used to sell their products at local markets in Peru, but they didn't have like continuous jobs, you know. So uh, when when they became part of Warmpaka, they started working every every year without any worry that they didn't have uh, jobs, you know. So that means more income for them and for their families. And also they have uh, trained family members to join them in this uh, task. So it has impacted them uh, not only economically, but also socially. Uh, the first artisan that worked with us um, buys a car every two years. He has built a second and a third floor in his house. He expanded his workshop and organized it better, you know, so he could be more efficient. So that is what we are um, capable of offering our artisans. You know, everyone uh, has the opportunity to um, better their lives. What do you want to achieve in the future by taking part in the event? Well, um, what we would like to achieve is a brand presence. We want to position ourselves in, in the Chinese market as a confident and reliable brand that offers a good quality alpaca fur uh, products. Uh, we would like to um, be able to expand our products, our selection of uh, products, uh, and we also would like to introduce new designs. So we are always um, ahead of the fashion and ten of the fashion tendencies that uh, Chinese market has. I think uh, this platform CIIE it is very important for us because it has been very um, reliable for us to be able to get um, much more clients and. Ex position in, into the, the Chinese market. Um, 
the Chinese government has opened its doors to countries like mine, like the developing countries, that we we didn't have this kind of opportunities and we still don't have these opportunities back at home. So for, for me, it's I, I feel honored that I'm able to, to be part of this uh, um, Chinese market. That was Isabel Zia, a senior executive of Wormpira. CIIE is an opportunity for international exhibitors to expand production and business in China. Gao Ang's visited a U.S. medical device factory and talked to exhibitors for their perspective on China's healthcare and pharmaceutical markets. I'm now in Shanghai's Lingang New Area. Last month's U.S. medical device giant Boston Scientific announced to build its first factory in China right here. Boston Scientific, one of the largest minimal invasive medical device companies in the world, surpassed $12 billion in revenue last year. Zhuan Chang, president of Boston Scientific in Greater China, said its new factory will allow the company to get closer to customers and patients and be more responsive. And the primary reason, obviously, is we want to strengthen our supply chain resilience. We want to enhance our supply chain capability. And, of course, that's a very, very important pillar in our global network strategy. The company has participated in the China International Import Expo, or CIIE, for five straight years. And the company has gone from exhibiting to investing. Boston Scientific is among many foreign pharmaceutical firms seeking to localize production and expand investment in China through the CIIE, while betting big on the country's vast healthcare and pharmaceutical market. That was Gao Ang reporting. Well, for the first time, a delegation of U.S. government officials is attending this year's China International Import Expo in Shanghai. This comes as participating U.S. companies have expressed optimism over the Chinese market and especially the healthcare sector. U.S. companies have been participants since the expo's inaugural edition back in 2018. We caught up with some uh, American pharmaceutical and biotech exhibitors to share their hopes and expectations. We will continue to invest as we have done to date. Uh, you know, to date we've invested about 1.8 billion uh, RMB in research, manufacturing, facilities, and training. Um, and our plan is to continue uh, with those types of investments. The China market is extremely important. We believe that we have the opportunity to bring the best minimally invasive care uh, to uh, to the Chinese population. And uh, so, with our innovation um, and our work to expand access to the technology. Uh, we think we can have an impact. Lily's been around for over 147 years with that mission around uh, making life better for people globally all over the world. Today we have over 20 local partners and we try to bring all of our resources, our people, our expertise, our experience to uh, the local biotechs to enable them to accelerate their innovation. Our goal is um, simultaneous drug development and China's role in that is tremendous. Uh, we're going to continue that commitment to research and development. Over the next few years between now and 2030, Lilly is going to provide a really unique opportunity for the people here in China. That is over 40 new medicines delivering better, healthier, happier lives for people living all over China. Edwards have been in China for over uh, 20 years. And during these years, we introduced more than 20 products in China. This year is actually the fourth consecutive year uh, Edwards have participated in CIIE. We released the first 1,000 patients that's been implanted with the S3 implant in China. So we have shown that the results has been very excellent with the... Uh, we, we would also, like I said, we'll certify our, 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 our TLT COE training programs. 
hopefully, you know, we will continue to use CIE as a platform for us to promote our most innovative products that can serve the Chinese patients and also, also showcase our company culture, our patient-centric values. Well, those are some U.S. exhibitors sharing their thoughts about the ongoing sixth edition of the China International Import Expo. The Inter-Civilizational Communication and Global Development Forum is opened in Beijing. Three-day event themed tradition of civilization and paths to modernization has attracted around 150 guests from more than 30 countries to discuss issues concerning communication among civilizations and global development. An American representative to the ongoing event says people need a better way to look at their collective future. Uh, John Thornton is the uh, chair emeritus of the Brookings Institution. During an interview with Gao Sure, he said that personal experience is important for boosting mutual understanding between ordinary people from different countries. In your opinion, what key lessons can we draw from historical interactions to enhance those inter-civilizational communication in the modern context? Well, I think the interesting question that, that came up in my mind is, I think what China is proposing is admirable, aspirational, even inspirational, but also extremely difficult to achieve. So I think all of us should applaud China for what it's trying to do, and we should then watch to see whether China does what it says it's going to do. And if it does, we should applaud more. And I think every country in the world should join in this effort, because if, if one could achieve it, it would be a real step forward for mankind. And we all know we could use it, because as the world gets smaller and more complicated, um, we do need a kind of better way of looking at uh, our collective future, because it becomes increasingly obvious that our future is collective. In recent years, we've seen the populism and backwind of deglobalization. How we should deal with those kinds of issues? Well, the way I look at the populism, at least in my country, uh, I, I think I understand it. And it's, it's uh, rational. It's not irrational. Uh, many ordinary Americans feel, with good reason, that the leaders of the, of the country have used the system for their benefit at the expense of ordinary people. And when I say leaders, I'm not talking just about political leaders. I'm talking about leaders of all, of all, kind, of all institutions. And I think that that's broadly correct. Then to make matters worse, many of those ordinary Americans have not done well economically. And then to make matters worse, many of those ordinary Americans are the ones who have been asked to send their sons and daughters off to wars that they don't understand and don't necessarily agree with. And many of those sons and daughters have come back either dead or maimed, or they can't get a job, and they become drug addicts. And so there's a lot, a lot of anger, and that anger is not going away soon. So my point of all that is, I think until that anger is addressed, and until leaders are responsive to the people, until that happens, you're not going to be in a sufficiently healthy state to have an intelligent inter-civilizational conversation. And how do you see the future of inter-civilizational communication evolving between those two powers and how we could reach a source of a mutual understanding between China and the United States? Well, the first thing I would say is that, again, looking at through, through American eyes, I would say that the average level of understanding on the part of ordinary Americans about China is very, very low. And that has to be addressed. By the way, not just with China, but with other countries as well. This morning, I cited a survey done recently by Frank Luntz. And Frank, looking at the survey data, his, his, his recommendation to the Chinese leadership was, you should adopt a massive initiative on tourism and get as many Americans to China as you possibly can, because nothing beats personal experience. Uh, nothing beats it. And he, he himself feels that way about his own experience. And, I, and, and, and he's right. Uh, because no amount of talking, no amount of reading books, no amount of reading newspapers, no amount of television can you su can substitute 
personal interaction. That was Gal Ingshur speaking to John Thornton, the chair emeritus of the Brookings Institution. Coming up, Israel says its troops have made it to the heart of Gaza City. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. 18 minutes past the hour. Uh, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant says Israeli forces have advanced to the heart of Gaza City as the conflict marks one month. Uh, Gallant said the troops and tanks have one target, Hamas. And he said Israeli forces have isolated Hamas's most senior leader in Gaza in his bunker. Israeli forces on Wednesday sought to locate and disable the militants' tunnel network underground. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu told ABC News that Israel will bear the overall security responsibility in Gaza for an indefinite period after the conflict ends. The White House has reiterated that U.S. President Joe Biden does not support an Israeli reoccupation of the Gaza Strip after the conflict. Meanwhile, the United Nations says the conflict has killed 89 uh, of its aid workers. The World Health Organization has reported over 160 deaths. Sam Mednick has more from Jerusalem. Tuesday marks one month of the war between Israel and Hamas, and Israel said that its troops are in the depths of Gaza City. This is an escalation in the conflict. Israel considers Gaza City to be the epicenter of Hamas's operations and where its key infrastructure is. On Tuesday, Israel says it overtook a Hamas stronghold where it found anti-tank missiles as well as weapons and intelligence information. Israel also said on Tuesday it located a building where Hamas militants had barricaded themselves inside and were using it to launch attacks into Israel. Israel struck that building. There was a secondary large explosion, which Israel said meant that there was a heavy presence of weapons. Now, Israel is telling people to move from the north of Gaza into the south. However, people in Gaza say they are still being struck in the south. In the towns of Yunis as well as Rafah, residents said that there were strikes on Tuesday. I spoke to one man named Motaz. He said he was sitting in his car with his niece when he heard a loud explosion in Rafah city. He said residents came towards his car. They were injured. One man was heavily bleeding from his head, and they asked him to take them to the hospital because there were no ambulances. Aid groups are having a very hard time getting assistance into Gaza, particularly fuel. There's a shortage of fuel for the ambulances as well as the hospitals. On the Israeli side, on Tuesday, to mark 30 days of the war, People held moments of silence for the victims as well as the hostages. More than 1,400 people were killed when Hamas attacked on October 7th and took 240 hostages into Gaza. There were memorials held in Tel Aviv as well as Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Netanyahu, for the first time on Monday, said in an interview with ABC News that Israel will take overall security responsibility for Gaza when the war is over. He also said that people in Gaza deserved leaders who thought differently than Hamas. Now, while Netanyahu has said the goal of the operation is to eradicate Hamas, he hasn't stated before what is going to happen after the war. So these comments are the first time where he's clearly said what he is thinking moving forward. While he didn't spell out the exact plans, the common denominator seems to be that they're going to eradicate Hamas, demilitarize Gaza, and de-radicalize Gaza. This is according to Israel. Netanyahu also said in this interview that he was open to small humanitarian pauses in order to try and alleviate the catastrophic humanitarian situation in Gaza. 
More than 10,000 people have been killed, according to the Ministry of Health, which is run by Hamas. A million and a half people have been internally displaced. On Tuesday, the United Nations Human Rights Chief, Volker Turk, started a five-day mission to the region. Turk has said that the violation of human rights is one of the root causes of the escalation of this violence and that human rights is going to play a key role in de-escalating the crisis. That was Sam Mednick reporting. A source in the Palestinian presidential palace has denied reports of an attack on the convoy of Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. A multiple media outlets reported the president's convoy was fired upon and one of his bodyguards was dead. A Turkish newspaper said the sons of Abu Jandal group claimed the attack. None of the reports specifies the exact location of the attack. Chinese diplomats called on parties to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to immediately cease hostilities and prevent further escalation. Gang Shuang is China's deputy permanent representative to the UN. The diplomat says all violence and attacks against civilians should be condemned and that civilian facilities must not become military targets. He adds that the safety of UN staff as well as humanitarian and medical workers must be guaranteed. Gang says China calls for the immediate lifting of the evacuation order for northern Gaza and firmly rejects the forced displacement and the forcible relocation of the Palestinian population. U.S. Senate Democrats have blocked a Republican bid to win quick approval for a bill providing billions of U.S. dollars of emergency aid to Israel. The bill passed the House of Representatives last week. Democrats are accusing House Republicans of playing politics with the crisis in Israel by tying support to cutting funding for the Internal Revenue Service. To become law, legislation must pass the Senate and the House and then be signed into law by the president. The White House previously said that the president would veto the House bill. The International Labour Organization says Gaza's lost more than 60% of its jobs since the start of the uh, conflict, adding uh, to the dire economic situation in the Israeli-besieged enclave. The ILO announced the figure in its first assessment of the impact of Israeli ground and air strikes on Gaza. The agency says the losses amount to over 180,000 jobs in the small Palestinian territory. ILO Regional Director for Arab States uh, Ruba Jaradat said that their initial assessment of the repercussions of the tragic current crisis on the Palestinian labor market has yielded extremely worrying results, which will only worsen if the conflict continues. Even before the conflict and the tightening of Israeli economic blockade of the Gaza Strip, around half of the narrow coastal enclaves, 2.3 million people lived below the poverty line. Egypt is shoring up its tourism industry in southern Sinai on the Red Sea, which has been affected by the conflict in the Gaza Strip. The country has witnessed a decline in bookings for trips in the country and delayed reservations for the end of the year. Many travelers have canceled or postponed holidays to the Middle East and North Africa due to the conflict. A tourism minister Ahmed Issa says they're working closely with wholesalers, retailers and airlines to keep them committed to the country's products. We're hearing from them that the, as people realize the geopolitics and that the Red Sea resorts are far and away from the, um, the, what's happening in the region, uh, we're seeing uh, significant uh, escalation again to the normal levels of the reservations for the season December to February. Countries also hoping for a boost from uh, the Grand Egyptian Museum, which Issa says is expected to officially open sometime between February and May. 
Turning to Ukraine and President Volodymyr Zelensky says he doesn't believe it's the right time for elections. In a recent video address, he said it was irresponsible to engage in talks of holding an election in Ukraine when the country was engaged in a war. He also called for uh, unity as debate intensifies over the presidential vote in 2024. Zelensky's address came after a, a rift emerged between his office and his commander-in-chief Valery Zeluzhny, who uh, likened the state of the battlefield with uh, Russia to a stalemate in World War I. Zelensky said there was no stalemate and urged Ukrainians to stay strong and not be drawn into dangerous infighting that could jeopardize military efforts. Officials from the U.S. and Europe are reported to have suggested negotiations to end the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, but Zelensky has denied any such attempt. We're at 26 minutes past the hour. King Charles III has delivered the King's speech to the UK Parliament for the first time since he ascended to the throne. He read out the speech to detail the legislative program during the state opening of Parliament ceremony, which marks the start of a new parliamentary year. The British monarch says the government's priority is to make decisions to change the country for the better. He says the steps, uh, he says steps will be taken to make the economy more competitive and address the drivers of low growth. My government will continue to take action to bring down inflation, to ease the cost of living for families and help businesses fund new jobs and investments. My ministers will support the Bank of England to return inflation to target by taking responsible decisions on spending and borrowing. These decisions will help household finances reduce public sector debt and safeguard the financial security of the country. Another measure the King announced is a bill to support the future licensing of new oil and gas fields in the North Sea, which the King says will help the UK transition to net zero emissions by 2050. Uh, Charles III adds that the new bills will pave the way for self-driving vehicles on British roads and investment in renewable energy resources. At 28 minutes past the hour. Uh, Beijing's at plus two overnight. Tomorrow will be sunny with the high of eight degrees. Chongqing has a slight rainfall tonight. Tomorrow's cloudy and 22. Last is down to minus one, then cloudy and 12 degrees. Hong Kong's uh, dipping to 25, then overcast conditions in 29. Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo's 13 overnight. It'll be sunny and 22 on Thursday. Islamabad's down to 15 this evening, then thunderstorms in 29. Bangkok's 28 tonight. Tomorrow, thunderstorms with a high of 36. In Africa, Nairobi has thunderstorms in 23 degrees. And finally to Oceania. Uh, Sydney's at 23 this evening, then partly cloudy in 27. Auckland's down to 13, then sunny in 20. Port Vila mostly cloudy and 28 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Chinese presidents addressed the 2023 World Internet Conference Wujen Summit via video. Israel says its forces have reached the heart of Gaza City. And King Charles III has made his speech to the UK Parliament, the first one since his coronation. And Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. 
Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. Donated an additional Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Wednesday. Still to come. In business, the Beijing Financial Street Forum. In sports, a Chinese team remains hopeful of advancing in the AFC Champions League. In culture and entertainment, a forum in Beijing on communication between civilizations. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, today's headline news, and here's Wang Zihang. Thank you very much, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping is calling for efforts to build a more inclusive and prosperous cyberspace as the internet is increasingly becoming a new driving force for development. He made remarks while addressing the 2023 World Internet Conference Wuzhen Summit via video. President Xi also called for efforts to deepen international exchanges and cooperation in the digital field and accelerate the transformation of scientific and technological achievements. The Financial Street Forum has kicked off in the Chinese capital, focusing on main topics including financial openness and economic cooperation. The Beijing Financial Street, formed in 1993, dubbed China's Wall Street and the brain of the country's financial sector. The three-day event has gathered over 400 heavyweights from over 30 countries and regions around the world. This year's event will comprise a main forum, three parallel forums and fintech conferences. China has sent a batch of emergency humanitarian aid from Sichuan province to earthquake-hit Nepal. The humanitarian supplies include 600 cotton tents and 4,600 blankets. The 6.4-magnitude earthquake that struck Nepal's Karnali province on Friday is one of the strongest in recent years. Nepalese authorities say over 140 people were killed and more than 300 others injured. About 17,000 houses have been fully destroyed in the earthquake. Portuguese Prime Minister Antonio Costa has resigned after a widespread corruption probe. The 62-year-old has been Portugal's socialist leader since 2015. He asserted his innocence but said he, in a nationally televised address that under the circumstances, he presented his resignation to the President of the Republic. He also said that he would not run for the position of Prime Minister anymore.
No, I will not run for the Prime Minister office again. I want that to be very clear. This is a period in my life that comes to an end. Also, as we know, criminal cases very rarely are speedy, so I will not stand by and wait to make a decision. The most important trial is that of my conscience, and with regard to that I am calm. I am certain that I have no illicit act weighing on my conscience. The announcement came hours after police arrested his chief of staff while raiding several public buildings and other properties as part of the probe. The state prosecutor's office said the Supreme Court was examining the prime minister's alleged involvement in illicit activities. The Japanese foreign minister says support from the Group of Seven for Ukraine will not be affected by the conflict in the Middle East. Yoko Kamikawa made the remarks as G7 foreign ministers held virtual talks in Tokyo with the Ukrainian foreign minister who attended remotely. It will send a clear message to the international community that we as the G7 stand with Ukraine even while the international attention tends to be on the Middle East. The G7 has been at the forefront of supporting Ukraine since the conflict between the country and Russia broke out in February last year. The Ukrainian president made an appearance at the G7 Leaders' Summit in Hiroshima in May. The Saudi Foreign Ministry has announced the postponement of the 5th Arab-African Summit due to the current situation in Gaza. The summit was supposed to be held in Riyadh on Saturday. It explained that postponement was, due, was to ensure the political events in the region did not affect the Arab-African partnership. Japan's eastern Kanto region has been experiencing unseasonally warm weather since the start of November. According to the Japan Meteorological Agency, temperatures in central Tokyo reached a daytime high of 27.5 degrees Celsius on Tuesday, making it the hottest November day in the city since records began a hundred years ago. Nationwide, about 30 observation points renewed their November record highs, including Yokohama, with 27.3 degrees Celsius. Finally, the U.S. Space Agency says astronomers has, have discovered the most distant black hole ever detected. Researchers found the signature of a growing black hole just 470 million years after the Big Bang by combining data from the Chandra X-ray Observatory and the James Webb Space Telescope. NASA says the result may explain how some of the first supermassive black holes in the universe formed. The researchers found that the black hole is located near a galaxy cluster located 3.5 billion light-years from Earth. Back to you, Shane. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zihang with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, the Beijing Financial Street Forum. The delivery of China's first homegrown large cruise ship has attracted not only ardent tourists, but also Western skeptics. The latter are touting the idea the cruise ship can become an amphibious assault challenge and can be used for military purposes. Seriously? How true is such an assertion? Cruise through this and other questions on this week's Chat Lounge, anywhere you get your podcasts, and on CGTN Radio. 37 past the hour now, turning to business, and here's Tianyu. Thank you, Shane. <clears throat> Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Wednesday. Timothy Pope has more. Now, the Chinese mainland markets edged a bit lower. Uh, the Shanghai Composite Index was uh, down a bit more than a tenth of 1%. The Shenzhen component uh, ended the session pretty much flat, though. 
Gains among healthcare and consumer stocks largely offset the losses among financial energy and mining shares. We had uh, Beijing hot gen biotech uh, as the day's top gainer, rising 20% in Shanghai. Uh, that came after it announced uh, that it's made some progress in developing a reagent which can help with the detection of Alzheimer's disease. Ping'an Insurance, though, was a major drag on the markets here in Shanghai, where it lost 1.4%, and it was down in Hong Kong as well uh, by 5.4%. Uh, Ping'an this afternoon issued a statement denying reports in international media that it's been uh, asked by the Chinese government to buy a controlling stake in the heavily indebted property giant Country Garden. Country Garden's Hong Kong listed stock rose more than uh, 5% following uh, those reports. Uh, investors welcoming uh, even the prospect of a high-profile industry rescue. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down around 0.5%. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped 0.3%. The Financial Street Forum has kicked off in Beijing, focusing on main topics including financial openness and economic cooperation. The Beijing Financial Street, formed in 1993, is dubbed China's Wall Street and the brain of the country's financial sector. Director Lu Wuxing of the Beijing Financial Street Service Bureau says the assets of financial institutions on the street have grown significantly over the years. Over the past five years, we have introduced more than 300 important financial institutions with a cumulative registered capital exceeding 670 billion yuan. Notably, after the Beijing Stock Exchange landed on the BFS in 2021, the boss has played a positive role in improving the financial ecosystem of the financial street. The three-day event has gathered over 400 heavyweights from over 30 countries and regions around the world. This this year's event will comprise a main forum, three parallel forums, and fintech conferences. For more, Li Dongning spoke with Chi Qiang, a research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies Universities. Can you tell us how the forum can enhance financial openness and cooperation for shared growth and benefits? Through the past few years, everyone probably will have a gut feeling about uh, what does this theme actually mean, a better China and a better world. But previously, China served the whole world as one of the most important productivity, providing a very good pro- uh, product to the rest of the world. Um, I think uh, we've been supporting people's livelihood and the whole world. And currently, China has been showing some new features and new attractions as a very important market destination, as a demand center, because China has one of the largest uh, rising middle-income classes would be providing very important effective demand to the world market. Just take a look at the uh, CIIE recently been uh, having uh, going on in Shanghai. You've been seeing the traditional sellers like USA, like Australia, um, you know, but the traditional buyers, uh, uh, you know, uh, from China right now become the seller in China to try to promote their products in China. So, and also China is providing another important feature and value to the rest of the world right now is uh, China providing a, a platform with very huge stability as independent sovereignty. And also uh, we are policy uh, bias free and ideology bias free. So it means everybody can join in China to have the cooperation. And this actually been, you know, spill over to the financial sectors. You've been seeing that China has been very open in financial sector. We're one of the earliest adopters of the Basel III standards. So we open up our banking sectors in a very, very early stage. We've been open up our giant four uh, banks to you know, foreign investors. And also China probably have one of the uh, uh, largest penetration of the international investors as well. I've been uh, 
reaching out to international standard uh, as one of the pioneer in the whole world. So I think when China rise up, not only as a producer, as a uh, consumer, but also as one of the financial player in the whole world, we can actually bring another surprise and amaze, amazing effect to uh, the whole world. That was Chu Chang, a research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. The International Monetary Fund says China's real GDP is projected to grow by 5.4 percent by the end of the year. First Deputy Managing Director Jita Gopinath made a statement following a visit to China. Gopinath said the projection reflects an upward revision of 0.4 points in 2023 relative to the World Economic Outlook released in October. China's GDP expanded 4.9 percent in the third quarter, up 1.3 points over the second quarter. It grew 5.2. Percent through the first three quarters. China only needs GDP growth of 4.4 percent in the fourth quarter to meet its annual growth target of around 5 percent. A Nobel-winning expert says trade barriers between China and the United States, such as the U.S. ban on exporting microchips to China, will harm economic growth for both sides. Thomas J. Sargent is the Nobel laureate in economics. He made the remarks on the sidelines of the Sixth World Laureates Association Forum in Shanghai. Look, China is a big market for these chips. The, the Intel company and the Nvidia company, they don't want these restrictions, and they've lobbied against it. Somebody's lobbied in favor of it. I don't think it's in those companies' interests. Sargent said that invoking national security as the pretext for the trade embargo on microchips was a protectionist move. I do know sometimes people say national security, and it's a, it's not what they really mean. It's hypocrisy. It's like I want to protect the local. I want to protect the local monopoly. I don't want to compete. The sad thing is that this is one thing the U.S. does well. And Figures show trade between China and the United States reached 423 billion U.S. dollars by the end of September, down 8.2 percent from the same period last year. The ongoing CIIE has drawn over 1,500 enterprises from Belt and Road partner countries to showcase their products. Pakistani exhibitor Habib Ariman participated in the CIIE for the first time in 2021 when he brought Himalayan rock salt lamps to Shanghai and made the exquisite handicraft quickly popular in the Chinese market. In just two months after the expo, more than 50,000 sets of edible Himalayan rock salt lamps were sold in China. I hope that with the help of the CIIE, the camo skin lamp can become a hot selling product like rock salt lamps, and then the camo skin lamp industry can be saved. Kazakh exhibitor Bodokas Yoshibek is among the new partners with the CIIE. She is displaying nut- nutritious wheat flour from her hometown, which is one of the world's major wheat producers and exporters. It's the first time for me to participate in the CIIE. We want to start from this nine square meter booth. My dream is to let Chinese consumers know the wonderful taste I had in Kazakhstan when I was a child, and let the product enter the Chinese market. This year's event has gathered over 3,400 enterprises from around the world. And finally, Australian winemakers are scrambling to find new buyers around the world after China imposed hefty, hefty tariffs on the industry. China removed similar tari- tariffs based placed on Australian barley exports early this year, which brings hope for Australian winemakers to get access to the vast Chinese market. Greg Navarro has more. Melbourne-based winemaker Nicky Palin spent years carefully cultivating a craft and a destination for the finished product. 
Before the pandemic, China was about 90% of my business and all my sales. So it was absolutely, um, it was such an integral, important part of my business. But access to that market for Palin and other wine producers here came to an end in 2020 when China placed anti-dumping tariffs on Australian wine exports. The move was seen in response to Australia's former government calling for an international investigation into the origins of COVID. So my business used to be six million um, in terms of turnover um, and now I'd say uh, probably around one and a half. So it has taken a, a massive hit. So has Australia's wine industry, which saw trade with China, its largest export destination, shrink from close to a billion dollars in 2020 to just more than eight million dollars this year. We're having to rely on other export markets, however, they're just not as big. Australia's barley producers faced similar tariffs until August, when China agreed to lift them. In exchange, Australia agreed to suspend its case before the World Trade Organization. Now that the China barley market's open, growers obviously welcome that decision. We've seen an immediate increase in price. We see that barley is like a template. It's like a test case for us. And when it initially first started, um, we were hopeful that if there was a successful resolution for barley, then the same would be for wine. But if and when that happens, Australia's wine industry still faces significant challenges. While the largest export destination for Australian wine producers dried up, grapes were thriving, producing a record crop for growers in 2021. Wines were still being produced, leading to an oversupply. We currently have over 859 swimming pools worth of wine or about 2.8 billion bottles. So that's a lot of wine and it's going to take many years to get through. It's also unclear how a shift in China's economy may impact demand as well as increased competition from other wine producing countries. But Palin is optimistic. I've had a lot of my Chinese customers who are based in China um, ring me up and wanting to start re-engaging. Which is why Palin says she's already preparing for a possible return to a market she's worked so hard to cultivate. And that was Nat Navarro, Greg Navarro reporting. All right, thank you very much. And that was Tanya with Business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming up in sports. A Chinese team remains hopeful of advancing in the AFC Champions League. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 48 past the hour, turning to sports now. And here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with football and China's Shandong Taishan downed South Korea's Incheon United 3-1 in the AFC Champions League. In doing so, they have bolstered their hopes of reaching the round of 16. Shandong broke the deadlock at home in the 54th minute as Li Yuanyi tapped home. Shandong scored two more goals and their opponents managed to grab a consolation goal. In the same group, Yokohama F. Marinos defeated the Philippines' Kaya FC 2-1. Real Madrid announced French international midfielder Eduardo Camavinga has signed a contract extension. His new deal will run until the end of June 2029. The deal sees Camavinga add two years onto his contract with the club. Camavinga joined Real Madrid from Rennes in the summer of 2021 when he was just 18 years old. He has since operated in a variety of roles in midfield and also at left-back, displaying great versatility. His new contract follows last week's announcement from the club that Vinicius Jr. had signed a new contract. These deals are a part of Madrid's ongoing work to ensure the future of their young talents. 
UEFA Champions League midweek action has resumed, producing a number of thrilling results. First up, AC Milan pulled off a 2-1 win against PSG. PSG opened the scoring early in the first half, but Milan's Rafael Liao equalised soon after. French World Cup winning striker Olivier Giroud scored the winner for Milan in the 50th minute. Milan coach Stefano Pioli believes their group stage match against Dortmund could prove to be decisive. I think PSG has played a bit better technically, but we have done what we needed to do and mentally we have done a great match. We must try to continue this way because there is still a lot to do. Of course, this victory gives us more chances to reach the next stage, but everything is still at stake. I think the next match against Dortmund, I believe, will be a decisive match, but also we must improve in the championship. PSG coach Luis Enrique believes that anything is still possible in their group. Of course, this group is so strong that with still two matches to play, the four teams have chances to qualify for the knockout stage. That means this is the strongest group of the tournament. For us, it has been a shame, because if we would have won this match, we will have almost qualified for the next round. But now we must focus on the two remaining matches, winning at home, and then see the rest of the results. In other selected Champions League results, Dortmund edged Newcastle United 2-0, Shakhtar stunned Barcelona with a 1-0 victory, Atletico Madrid scored 6 against Scottish champion Celtic, and an Erling Haaland brace helped defending champions Manchester City defeat Young Boys 3-0. Australia managed to beat Afghanistan by three wickets at the Cricket World Cup in Mumbai. Glenn Maxwell's heroics led Australia into the semi-finals after completing their highest run chase in a Cricket World Cup match. Australia slumped to 91 for 7, chasing Afghanistan seemingly imposing 291 for 5. However, an injured Maxwell dragged his side to victory after nursing various cramps on field with a valiant 201 not out. His spectacular one-leg cameo included 21 fours and 10 sixes as he recorded Australia's highest individual ODI score. He also became only the third player in history to make a World Cup double century. South African rugby star Bongi Ombanambi has criticised England for alleging he had aimed a racist insult at flanker Tom Curry. The incident took place during their World Cup semi-final game. World Rugby later cleared Ombanambi to feature in the World Cup final victory against New Zealand. Mbonambi stressed it was a misunderstanding from Curry and England. The forward said he was speaking Afrikaans, which is typical for the Springbok players. Mbonambi has labelled England unprofessional in how they acted in the aftermath of the fixture, which South Africa won. The World Wushu Championships is returning to the United States after almost three decades. The tournament will run from November 16th to 20th in Fort Worth, Texas. It will be the second time for the U.S. to host the tournament after Baltimore, Maryland in 1995. The event is a top-level global competition of China's traditional martial arts. Hundreds of athletes from more than 70 countries and regions will compete in the tournament. Tiger Woods says he is pain-free when it comes to his right ankle that was fused in April. However, he says the rest of his leg remains a work in progress. He compared it with when he had fusion surgery on his lower back. He added that the L5 and S1 vertebrae were fine. At this time, there's also no indication when he'll get back to work on the golf course. Woods hasn't played since he withdrew at the Masters after the third round. He had surgery on his right ankle two weeks later for arthritis that developed after a car crash. And finally, the Los Angeles Rams have reportedly signed quarterback Carson Wentz to back up an injured Matthew Stafford. 
the Rams made the signing during their bye week, giving Wentz time to get used to the Los Angeles' offense. Stafford left the Rams' Week 8 loss to the Dallas Cowboys with a sprained ligament in his right thumb. Wentz spent the 2022 season with the Washington Commanders, but was released in February. Wentz was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles with the number 2 pick in the 2016 draft. Wentz was traded during the 2021 offseason after losing his starting job to Jalen Hurts. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, a forum in Beijing on communication between civilizations. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 minutes past the hour. In culture and entertainment, among 100 and, or around 150 guests from more than 30 countries have gathered in Beijing for a forum on communication among civilizations and global development. The forum is hosted by the Party School of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of China. The three-day event is themed, Tradition of Civilizations and Paths to Modernization. Three sub-forums on communication amongst various global groups will also take place. Artists from across the world are gathering in Egypt for an art show that's centered around the pyramids of Giza. Adele al Maruki has more. The pyramids of Giza are the number one touristic attraction in Egypt. This week, visiting the plateau has become way more exciting for its visitors as structures of modern art stand tall to break the desert landscape of this area with creative designs. Blending modern art with the ancient backdrop of one of the oldest grand structures in the world, the Forever Is Now exhibition is giving artists a unique way to showcase their work. Fourteen artists have been invited to use the enchantment of ancient Egypt's culture to inspire their newest artwork. All have incorporated the pyramids in their designs. When I got the opportunity and I was told I was selected, um, I came up with a lot of different uh, concepts in my mind. Because I've visited Egypt several times and I've been next to the pyramids, you feel so dwarfed by it. And I wanted to create a pyramid where you actually feel embraced and captured by it. As I designed a maze of rusted metal walls with a golden pyramid at the center, Yet she says that the gold's attraction is only to highlight how invaluable the precious metal could be. Once upon a time, gold was cheaper than silver. In this piece, I, I wanted to raise that aspect, that things don't stay the same. Value uh, aspects, economical aspects, and the true treasure is the person himself. So the journey that he takes until he reaches the center of the pyramid, they realize it's not the gold, it's them. Greek artist by Dionysius too was inspired to use gold in his piece at the third edition of the Forever Now exhibition. Unlike the three-dimensional artwork all his colleagues established, he made a rather simple carpet out of gold paper. This is part of a series I've been developing for the past uh, few years, which is uh, a series of meditation spots. I wanted to create this um, meditation on light, uh, inspired by Greek and Egyptian mythology, by the sun god Ra and Apollo having a conversation with each other. So I thought, uh, how do people pray and meditate in Egypt currently on a carpet? Taking two weeks of design and implementation, each piece here has its own story. And by standing next to the pyramids, a further depth in the concepts emerge. 
These artworks are available for visitors to see and experience until November 18. That was Adele Almaruki reporting. The Nanjing Museum in Jiangsu Province has opened a jade-themed exhibition. Uh, through more than 600 exhibits, visitors can explore the country's long history of jade culture. The exhibition is also a part of the celebrations of the museum's 90th anniversary. Drawing on collections from 40 institutions across China, uh, the exhibition showcases a diverse array of jade artifacts. At least one-third of the collection contains national-level cultural relics. The exhibition is divided into three sections, and each section explores a different facet of the relationship between jade and Chinese civilization. Restoration work will start soon on 56 stone tablets at a 2,000-year-old archaeological site in southwest China. The oldest tablet at the site in Fengji County, Chongqing, dates back 1,400 years ago to the Sui Dynasty. We're at 58 past the hour, Beijing's down to plus two this evening, and tomorrow's sunny with a high of eight degrees. Chongqing has a slight rainfall tonight, tomorrow cloudy and 22. Last is down to minus one, then cloudy and 12 degrees. Hong Kong's dipping to 25, then overcast conditions with a high of 29. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 13 this evening. It'll be sunny and 22 on Thursday. Islamabad's uh, down to uh, 15 degrees this evening, then thunderstorms and 29. Uh, Bangkok's at 28 tonight, tomorrow thunderstorms and 36. In Africa, Nairobi has thunderstorms in 23 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney 17 this evening, then some clouds in 27. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Chinese presidents addressed the 2023 World Internet Conference Wujian Summit via video. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 